Happy Friday. If you are listening to this podcast on the Friday it was released, then you are listening on Black Friday and we have a sale for you. All of our gear is now 20% off plus free shipping whenever you go to unashamedlyyou.com to our merch site and use the promo code Black Friday. We've also decided to let our podcast listeners in on the next deal first. I am offering my coaching sessions for 20% off. I've never put these on sale before because let's be honest, the price for coaching is extremely low, but I know that so many of you have big ideas and big dreams for 2024, and I want to give you a discount to help you get started on them. Use promo code START20, S-T-A-R-T-2-0, and grab coaching sessions for 20% off. I've made these unlimited so you can grab as many coaching sessions as you would like for 20% off. Promo code Black Friday for 20% off the site-wide sale and promo code START20 for coaching sessions. These promo codes end at midnight on 1127. Remember, if you have any Unashamedly You gear, please tag us. We love seeing you be Unashamedly You. Welcome to the Unashamedly You podcast, a space to enlighten, encourage, and empower you to go out and unashamedly be who God is calling you to be. I am your host, Jamie Herndon. I pray you hear less of me and more of him as you listen to today's episode. Let's grow together. We have a guest on today that so many of you have requested to hear from because her story is so inspiring, but not just her story. She is also so much fun. You never walk away from this lady without laughing or feeling refreshed. And I just cannot wait to hear all that she has to share with us today. So Cindy Morrison, what an honor to have you as a guest on the Unashamedly You podcast. Take a moment and introduce yourself to us. Thank you so much. I am honored and humbled that you would ask me to be a part of this and an opportunity to share our testimony. I myself have been so inspired by some of your guests that you have had on and I've enjoyed it. And so I'm looking forward to it. My name is Cindy Morrison. I'm married to David Morrison and we have two amazing children, Kate and Brooklyn. We've pastored in Harrison, Arkansas for almost 13 years. A little bit about our family. We enjoy riding ATVs and boating. I enjoy antiquing or as my husband calls it, junking. My husband is an extrovert extraordinaire and I tend to be more introverted. A lot of people have a hard time believing that my happiest days are cozy fall days with soft music playing, fall candles burning, and just a time alone. But we also enjoy laughing and having fun together as a family. And anytime that we can spend with family and friends, we enjoy that together. Fun times. That is hard to believe that you're more introverted, but I kind of am like that too. I like my alone time and no one believes that I like alone time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I cannot believe that you guys have been in Harrison for 13 years. Yes, it it is flew by. (laughs) It definitely has. So tell us a little bit more about how you grew up and maybe the story of how you and Brother Morrison met. Okay. I'm an only child. I was born and raised in North Mississippi. I had a wonderful childhood. I'm surrounded by loving family. I guess that comes with being an only child. (laughs) 
But when I was about five years old, my parents backslid and were away from God for about 15 years. But although they were away from God, they did everything in their power to keep me connected to church. They never allowed me to miss church. And I would go and do things on Saturday night and they'd be like, well, don't matter what time you come in, you're getting up and you're going to church on Sunday morning. And I made sacrifices so that I could travel with my cousin who her and her husband were evangelists every summer. I had wonderful aunts, uncles, cousins who would come by and pick me up and make sure I had a way to church. And it was because of those years that my parents kept me connected and the people that poured into me as a young girl that I believe I'm where I am today. A funny story that our young people at the church enjoy here and everybody usually gets a kick out of that for as long as I could remember, my only ambition in life was to grow up, become a veterinarian and work in the Memphis Zoo. (laughs) And that's just from such an early age, that's all I had a desire to do was I'm going to work in the Memphis Zoo one day. I've actually away from God in my high school years, and I thought I was really leaving it up. But something began to change in me in my senior year of high school. And I found that I was no longer enjoying the things that had brought me joy. And I began to realize my own mortality. I found myself praying each time I got into a vehicle, God, please don't let me die today because I'm not ready to meet you. And that dream that I had had since I was a little girl, becoming a veterinarian, it no longer seemed appealing to me. And I wasn't sure what was happening in my life because it was like everything that I had built my life around was no longer appealing, looked like anything I wanted to do. And I didn't know how to let go of that dream. And and if I let go of that, God, what else is there for me to do? And I guess the turning point in my life was when one day in psychology class, our teacher was telling our class that he could predict where each one of us would be in life based on the choices that we were making now. And I was being a class clown and I raised my hand and I said, where do you see me in 20 years? And I was expecting him to make a joke uh, and me and my classmates would get a good laugh. But instead, without missing a beat, he told me, that I would return to my roots, I would marry, and alongside my family, we would work for God. I don't even think he knew what my roots were, but God did, and he used him to give me a word of promise and of hope, because from that moment those words came out of his mouth, there was a spark of hope and a desire that birthed in me that asked the question, God, could you really use me? After all the mistakes that I've made, would you even want to use me? But with that desire came the words of the enemy telling me of how unworthy I was. But my hunger for God grew each day, and I grew up listening to my family tell stories of the miracles that they had seen God do, and I had such a desire to know God like my family did. And I wanted Him to be real to me and not just something I heard stories about. And that's what kept me awake many nights was the question of, God, do you have more for me? And if so, God... I want it more than I've ever wanted anything in life. After I graduated high school, I spent the last summer with my cousin before I started college, and I attended church with them one night, and there was a guest minister preaching, and in the middle of his message, he stopped the entire service, and he pointed, and he told me, he said, God told me to tell you that if you would surrender fully to him, 
that he would give you the desires of your heart. And of course, at that time in my life, my greatest desire would and still is, was to be able to live and serve God. I received the Holy Ghost. And from that night forward, there has never been a moment that anything the world has to offer me, I've never looked back. And he's kept me and it's been the best years of my life. <laughs> that is incredible. So I have a couple questions for you. Who would bring you to church? You said your parents I, always made sure you came. Yes, I had aunts and uncles. It really was a lot of times it was who was available. Sometimes an aunt or uncle would be out of town. So usually an aunt or uncle or cousin would come by and pick me up. I spent a lot of weekends with my aunt. She was more like a grandmother to me. And so most of the times I would go to church with her. But I can't express how much now as an adult that meant to me. I didn't even realize the value of that now, but because they were willing to pour into me and, oh, instead of thinking of it as I've got to drive all the way across town and pick up Cindy, you know, it was like, it was never a sacrifice for them. Or if if it was, I never knew about it. And that's why anytime we have an opportunity now to go by and pick up a child, I'm like, you know what, that could be me. Wow. That is so amazing. So your parents backslid, but they always made sure you had a way to church. So they had your aunts or somebody to pick you up. And then how old were you when you got the Holy Ghost? You were in college? I was 18. I had just graduated high school. When you got the Holy Ghost. And so Mm -hmm. you got it that night that you said that he had pointed at you. It was almost an instantaneous, I think, because God had been building me up. There was such a desire in me that whole year and that God I was sitting on ready and wasn't even really sure where the go button was. But that night, it was like God pushed the go button and it's never been looked back. (laughs) That is amazing. So you got the Holy Ghost at 18. You just graduated high school. And then how did you meet Brother Morrison? So about three years after I received the Holy Ghost, I actually met my husband for the first time. But he loves to tell this part of the story. He was actually dating a friend of mine, and her parents insisted on her having a chaperone. So I was their chaperone (laughs) at that time. And so they had a very short-lived relationship. Was not because of me. (laughs) But about two years later, after that first initial meeting him, his pastor came and preached a special service at the church that I was going to. And... We met that night. He came up, asked for my phone number, and we began dating. That was in November. We began dating in December, and we're married 11 months later. And in just a few days, we'll be celebrating 25 years of marriage. That is so neat. I love that. And (laughs) any of you young girls listening, beware of your chaperones. Beware of your friends. They could move in, but y'all were the perfect match. So it worked out. (laughs) Two years later. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, I do always tell my girls to be nice to other guys. I said, because you never know who their friends are. You might not like him, but you might like a friend. (laughs) (laughs) So, you and Pastor Morrison, y'all pastor a thriving church in Harrison now, but I know that you do have a beginning story. So would you mind sharing with us a little bit about how that started, how you got to Harrison and how your church began? Absolutely. My husband and I, when we were married, 
We lived in Mississippi for the first nine years of our marriage before making the decision to move to North Little Rock and attend FPC. The decision was brought about by circumstances that we felt were out of our control, and it had us feeling like the end of the world, but it ended up being the best decision that we ever made. I feel like our life has been a series of me making plans and God saying, oh, that's nice, but I have a better plan. And I can honestly say that not one time have I been disappointed in when I gave up what I had plans for, for what God gave me, because he always gave me so much more than I could have ever dreamed possible. To help you to understand some of the Harrison story, we always thought that we would go back to my husband's hometown and start a church there. And we talked to Bishop Holmes about it. He prayed with us for several months before we made the decision to proceed on getting something started. We even came down to the place where we located a place to have church and live in, and we're within two weeks of making the move to Alabama. And there was one night I had already started feeling a little bit of hesitancy, and I thought it was maybe just me getting cold feet. And so I wouldn't say anything to my husband because I just was praying, God, if this is you, then please let him feel the same thing. And one night we were um, lying in bed And it was kind of that you knew both of you were awake and you could just feel a heaviness in the room. And he just let out a deep sigh and he said, I don't know about Alabama. And it just felt like a ton of bricks was lifted off of our chest. And so it opened up that me and him could talk about it. And we just done the only thing that we knew to do. We just started praying. And so we prayed and we prayed that night over into the morning hours And the very next night, my husband went to a special service in Guy, Arkansas, by the Blakely's Church, where Bishop Holmes was preaching. And Bishop Holmes, after he finished preaching, he walked down off the platform, and he was crying. And he grabbed my husband, and he said, Brother Morrison, he said, let's wait about Alabama. And my husband said, absolutely. (laughs) He said, that's all we needed to hear, because I believe the first step in starting a church is being fully submitted to the man of God in your life. We sat for about two years and poured ourselves into our home church in FPC and did all we could to be a help to Bishop and Pastor Holmes. And it was in those days of being told, no, not now, that I believe that God was testing our spirit to see how we would react and if we could truly handle what he had in store for us. Your first mission field outside of your own home is going to be in your home church. I have a hard time believing someone that they have a desire to win the loss, but they can't first be a help to their pastor and reach for their neighbors and their local community. Before God will use your ambition, he will first test your submission. I guess a little bit about how we became in contact with Harrison was we would go through on our way to Branson, vacationing. It's, you had to go through Harrison to get there. I believe it was sometime in the year 2009, we would drive through on our way to Branson. And on one day, my husband came very quiet and I asked him what he was thinking about. And he just replied, this city. The rest of the ride was really quiet. And I knew we were both praying. And to be honest, probably for two different reasons, because there was just something in my spirit that said this was different from Alabama. I guess I just knew that this was going to be different. 
And honestly, I wasn't ready for it. We were part of an amazing church. My kids were in Calvary Academy. They were thriving. Why would I want to leave? But when God says go, there is no other option. So we once again talked to Bishop and received his blessing. So we started exploring options in Harrison. We were put in contact with an elderly pastor here in this town who's wanting to retire. And we began having services with them in their building. There was only about eight of them in attendance, my family of four and four elderly saints. And in telling this story, I mean no disrespect to these elders that were there. They were wonderful people. But being older, they were not able to do the things around the church that needed to be done. They had red curtains in the windows that had been there for so long that when we took them down to freshen things up, they literally disintegrated in our hands. And (laughs) when we were pulling the curtains down, we had people stopping on the side of the road to see what was happening because those bright red curtains in the church had become such a landmark in that neighborhood that they couldn't believe that those curtains were coming down. And before we could have church on Sundays, we would have to go in and knock down termite tunnels that had been built during the week on the sanctuary walls. And for about two months, we would drive up to Harrison from Little Rock on Fridays, clean up around the church on Friday nights, do outreach on Saturdays, have church on Sundays, and drive home to Little Rock on Sunday evenings. During this time, this leads up to kind of the first miracle that God done to us. During this time, we were still working, but we were doing the Dave Ramsey program, and we were doing our best to get completely out of debt. God had set us in order to be doing this before we ever even really knew that Harrison was on the radar, that we had no idea. Money was tight, and we were pinching every penny and staying in a hotel when we would come up all the way from Friday to Sundays. Hotels were pretty expensive, and so... We ended up finding a hotel that we did not know until after we got there that had a very bad reputation. But when we were laying in bed and roaches were literally crawling up from behind the bedstead. And I was like, I can't do this, baby. (laughs) Can we do something else? So we made the decision to go to the church. The church had a little fellowship hall that had not been used in years. It was part of the project that we were going to get to and clean. So that next weekend when we came up, we were like, you know what, we're going to stay in the fellowship hall. So we went in there to start cleaning. And so this whole time you guys are just helping this elderly minister that's there. You're just coming in and you're just kind of helping him on Sundays to get things regrouped. Okay. Yes. So we had let them know, hey, you know, money's a little tight. So if it's okay with you, we're going to bring some air mattresses and we're going to sleep in the fellowship hall. And so they kind of looked at us real funny, you know, and after walking into the fellowship hall, we realized, oh, we had to take a broom and it's no exaggeration. There were spider webs that were probably a foot deep across the whole entirety of the ceiling. And we would just take a broom and having to sweep them and the broom would come away and it would just be coated with spider webs. I wanted to cry a lot of times, but we got it cleaned up and we blowed our air mattresses up 
I told the kids, I was like, hey, we're going to pretend we're camping. <laughs> we're just, and just praying. I was praying, oh, God, please just build a hedge. Don't let anything crawl on us at night. We would do outreach on Saturdays and do any kind of work that needed to be done around the church. My husband, had, a lot of times, would get dirtier than me and the kids were. We were able to kind of freshen up in the church bathroom, tiny little bathroom. But he would go down to the truck stop on Sunday mornings <laughs> and pay to have a shower <laughs> and would come back in time to have church. And we would have church. And then at the end of our church services, we would get packed up and go back home to Little Rock. I tell all this to lead up to the miracle that God did for us when we were down to one debt that we needed to pay off. And we thought we had about eight months that we left owed on this debt. Um, and we came up to Harrison one weekend and I asked my husband if I could paint the little foyer so that when people drove by, that it would at least look nice. He said, Cindy, we really don't have the money, but we decided to cut back on some things during the next week so we could afford the paint. And that following Monday, we went by the post office to mail out the money to pay toward the debt or the bill that we still owed on. But after a few minutes of walking in, my husband came back out of the post office and he had a letter in his hand and he was on the phone and he handed me the letter. And all I could see was the words debt paid in full. That bill that we stopped, we still owed eight months on God paid in full for the price of a can of paint. And that was our first indication that, you know what, God's got this that nothing you can ever do for God or his kingdom will ever be in vain. You can't outgive God. And that's not all the times monetary, but that's in our time or sacrifices we make for his kingdom. And with that debt being paid off, it freed up our finances to make the decision that we to move to Harrison because we realized that if we truly believe that God sent us and we did, that we need to fully commit ourselves so we moved from North Little Rock to Harrison on November the 1st, I believe it was in 2010. I'll never forget the day that we put the last few things in the U-Haul and we went by LPC one last time to pray for God's help. And the feeling of walking into that sanctuary and praying with our family and fully trusting God. I felt like I had a lot of times I prayed and I believed God. But at this point, I was like, God, I trust you. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know that I trust you. And we left that day with a peace that I can't even explain. And we knew that God was in control and he had us. We were in that first building with the elderly pastor for about two months when we felt God calling us to do something different. We secured another building, and for the sake of finances, we moved out of the house we were renting and into the upstairs of the church. Our sanctuary was an old dance studio. The fellowship was an old beauty salon, and our Sunday school rooms was the old tanning booths. <laughs> it was a mess. And it was during this time that my husband's job ended. His employer had been so kind to allow him to drive back and forth for a while to handle his job, but we soon realized that it wasn't practical for either them or us. So within a few days of moving into our new church, we had no job, no money. 
And it was truly a walk of faith. And there was a time that we had moved into that building, but we had not yet started church services. And that was probably some of the most trying times that we had been in Harrison because I felt like we were just sitting there waiting on God. And I look back now and realize that God was waiting on us because the building was a mess. And in our minds, we thought that the church had to look perfect before we could invite anyone to come to it. So we were really putting it off, holding it, but we didn't have the finances to make the church look like what we thought it should look. It was during this time, in those early days, we made a trip to Mississippi to see my husband's family that go to Brother Mark Copeland's church in Sebastopol. And while we were there, Brother Copeland announced to his church that we were starting a church in Harrison. And after service, there was a brother in his church that walked up to my husband crying. And he said, my daddy is a backslider in Harrison, and I've been praying for God to send someone to him. We got his number, and after we got back, we contacted his dad. And not long after starting the church, he was our first convert. But before we became in contact with his dad, it was just moving so slow. We couldn't get anything into it. His mom, when we had went to Mississippi, she had, as mothers do, they always like slip you some money. You know, I think our parents probably worried more about us than we worried ourselves because they were always, are y'all okay? <laughs> and everything that we were desperately trying to get in the building so that we could have church. But with finances low, things were moving slow. And as I said, we weren't having church because we had the building that needed so much work to be brought up to what we thought needed to be done in order to have it. But once again, God showed us that his plan doesn't always look like we think it should. One night with his mom, told, she said, I want you to take this money and go out to eat. Y'all deserve to go out to eat one night. So one night we splurged and we went out to eat. And while we were eating, our waiter came up and began talking to us. And he asked what brought us to Harrison. And we explained that we were starting a church. And we asked him if he was familiar with Pentecost. And he said, yes, I'm very familiar with Pentecost. And we invited him to come be with us when we started. And he kind of, you know, made small talk, kind of pushed it off so We didn't really think a whole lot about it. But when it came time to pay for our meal, we were told it was taken care of. And our waiter had paid for our meal. And when we were thanking him, he started crying. And he said, all I ask is that you reach my family in return. We walked out and my husband, he said, we're not waiting any longer. He said, we're having our first service Thursday night, which was only three days away. So we began having a cleaning frenzy because if it couldn't be pretty, it was at least going to make sure it was clean. And so once we realized we set the date, we're going to start Thursday, we called back to the restaurant trying to get in contact with our waiter. And no one in the restaurant knew who he was. And, you know, looking back at that time, I was like, could it have possibly been an angel? And, you know, just giving us words of encouragement, you know, And I can only pray that somewhere down the road that we do find his family and reach them if we haven't already. During that first service, that Thursday night, we said that we were going to start at 730. So 
we had everything smelling good. Everything's cleaned up, got the kids ready. And you have to forgive me because I still get emotional thinking about it. But I got the kids and I was giving them instructions on how to greet our guest. And we watched as cars drove down the road. And as 7.30 got closer, there was no cars pulling in. And the kids was like, Mom, it's almost church time. Do you think anybody's going to show up? And I said, you know, I don't know, baby. I said, but we're going to start praying. And I said, every car that goes by, I said, let's start praying. That, you know what, if they don't turn in our driveway tonight, that one day they will turn in our driveway. So that's what we started doing. And the closer it got to 730, you know, I was like, well, you know what? People got off work late. Maybe they're running. <laughs> Maybe they're running late. So at 735, I walked into the sanctuary and I asked my husband, I said, what are we going to do? And he said, we're going to have church. And so I got the kids and we walked in and we sat on the front. We sat on the front row. We sang some songs a cappella because none of us knew how to play music. We sang, and then my husband preached. And he made a statement that I'll never forget. He said, I'm going to preach like there's a hundred in this house tonight. He said, because I'm not looking at what sits in front of me today. I'm looking at what is going to be there in the future. And I didn't realize it at that point, but he was setting some things in precedence for what was to come. And in that service, that one service, how he handled that, he changed our mindset and our attitude for everything. And we were setting a precedence for years to come. So that Thursday night, it was just our family of four in there. But when Sunday rolled around, the dad of the man from Brother Copeland's church, him and his family came and they were a family of four. And so they came and he ended up being our first one to get the Holy Ghost and prayed through. And he soon became our musician, was played the the flat top guitar. And Kate in Brooklyn was our little praise team. And then someone donated a pink set of drums. <laughs> so Kate learned how to play drums on literally a child's pink set of drums. A funny story that we realized early on that you've got to have a sense of humor in everything. That first service that it was just us four in almost 13 years of pastoring, there's only been one other church service that it was back to us four. There was always at least one other person sitting on the pew but a few years after, we'd probably been there a couple of years, and, you know, we thought we had it. We thought we had it together. We had some people come in, no one that had really committed fully, but we had people come in and sit on the pew, but we never knew who was going to show up and who was going to be there. And so my husband, he said, you know what? He said, these people have got to learn about faithfulness to the house of God. They've got to learn, you know? <laughs> about being faithful to God. And so he said, I'm preaching faithfulness this Tuesday night. As I told the Sunday, he got up and he preached about faithfulness that Sunday. So that following Tuesday night, nobody showed up. <laughs> so 
it was a pretty interesting deal. So I asked my husband, I was like, are you going to preach on faith on this <laughs> Sunday? He said, absolutely not. He said, I think I'll wait a while before I preach back on that. So that's just kind of a funny story of just how in the process of everything, God has his ways of keeping you humble. When you think you've got it figured out or you think you've got it all together, God will quickly show you that, yeah, let's take it down a little bit. You don't quite have it together like you think you do. <laughs> that's hilarious. So yeah, he thought maybe I'll preach on something that's a little less offensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That is so funny. So you've grown in Harrison. Like you said, you preached to just you guys the first service and then everyone after that, besides after the faithfulness message, yeah, he had someone else to preach to. So how long did it take you? I know that there have been people that have reached out. And one thing that is so inspiring about your story is because you did start from nothing. You started a church and you started from the ground up. And then now to look at you guys, people wouldn't think that. Some people have assumed that you took a thriving church. And I'm like, they did not. <laughs> How long did it take you working and growing your church until you started getting those saints that were able to take that faithfulness message to heart? <laughs> you know, I think to get to that, a little bit of our story is, and I would be remiss without mentioning dipping the strawberries is I mentioned earlier that my husband, he didn't have a job and he put in job applications and everything and there was just nothing going. And so we were kind of to that point of, okay, Lord, if you want us here, we got to have help. And it kind of comes back to that of saying the Lord helps those that help themselves. So we made up in our mind, Brother Blakely told us when we come to Harrison, he said, you've got to go with that mindset that you're going to live and die in Harrison. He said, go buy you a cemetery plot. He said, because you're not only removing the stop option in your mind, he said, but you're letting the devil know I'm here to stay. And so we decided early on that whatever we had to do, to help there to be a church in Harrison, we were willing to do that. We tried everything. It's kind of comical when you look back. It wasn't comical at the time, but we sold boiled peanuts on the side of the road. We done everything. And then someone told us about chocolate dipped strawberries and how it had been a successful fundraiser for their church. So we explored the possibility of that and we soon learned that, yes, we could do this. Me and my husband, we would have church on Sundays. At that time, we was only having one church service on Sundays. And so after everyone had left, we would change clothes, get our little fellowship hall cleaned up, and we would start dipping strawberries. And we dipped so many strawberries. And what we would do is we would dip them. And then our kids would sell them. And I think it's important to, to notice this, this point that we had made up in our mind that we were going to do whatever it took to see the church grow. Dipping strawberries, and I'll never forget standing over the strawberries and literally crying because I was thinking, God, how long are we going to have to do this? And Nothing changed that day, but 
something in my mind turned over and it was like, I guess to say okay, righteous anger at the pity party that I was having for myself. And I was like, you know what, God, if you want a church in Harrison and if I have to dip strawberries for the next 20 years, if it helps save somebody, then I'm going to dip strawberries. So something changed in mine and I'll go back to my perspective on circumstances and situations and how I viewed the things that we were going through at that point. As I said, we dipped the strawberries. Then we had our kids to sell the strawberries. And we would go to a lot of the bigger cities. We're within 60 miles of metropolitan areas. So we would go to them into those cities and we kind of had a little route and people began to look forward to us coming and Brooklyn, she was six years old at the time and she was getting ready one day and she was like, I really hope that we sell out fast today. And she was kind of getting in that stage of where she was getting more independent and she was wanting to pick out her own clothes. And I was trying to still put her in the pretty smock to dresses and she had a couple of them. And so I use this as my opportunity when she said, I sure hope we sell out fast. And I was like, you know, I said, I bet if you wore that real pretty <laughs> smock to dress that had the little strawberries across the top of it or whatever, I said, I bet we would sell out fast. And she was like, oh, give me the smocking. <laughs> so I think back a lot of that, that even our attitudes when even poured over into our kids and our kids never viewed selling strawberries as an embarrassment, as a burden that they had to do. But we always told our kids that what we were doing was an honor, that God chose us to be able to do, to help build God's kingdom. I reminded Brooklyn, she was in first grade when we came to Harrison, and she was one of two of our first graduates from our Christian school. And in her graduation speech, she referenced growing up as a home missions kid and some of the things that she learned from it and how it helped her grow. And the very things that I prayed and worried over was the very things that God put in her life to help her grow in her walk with him. And if I had made her a victim or fought against those tough times, I could have irreparably stunted her spiritual growth. We never made our kids out to be a victim. We always portrayed what we were doing as an honor. And it wasn't so much as we truly feel that way. Even 13 years later, we still feel that way. We're honored and humbled that God would allow us to have a small part in doing something for the kingdom of God. We never tried to hide the struggles that we were facing, but we presented to our kids in the way that, guys, we have a need, we need to pray about. You need friends? Let's pray. If we had to hit our struggles and our needs from our kids, we would have robbed them of the opportunity to stand in awe of when they watched God move for them and things that they asked him for. And it made them realize early on that God loves them and loves to hear their voice in prayer as well. This was never just mom and dad's mission. This was our mission for God. I used my Instagram account as a diary of sorts so that I can 
remember and share the testimonies of what God did for us. And I've always tried to be so careful in what I post because I realized early on that I had others following and watching our journey. And just as in social media, so many times people are guilty of showcasing the highs and they don't want to show you the lows. But I never wanted to give the impression that because they are having a tough time, that God is not with them or that we are some sort of golden child that never had a difficult day. We've had bad days. We had days that honestly, we didn't know what we were going to eat for dinner that evening. We had so many Little Caesars $5 pizzas that to this day, I can barely stomach the smell of them. We had no idea where money was going to come from to pay the bills. We had not, so we laid in bed after the kids went to sleep and we cried ourselves to sleep as we prayed that God would send hungry souls to our church after services that there were no response from the pews. But we had to control our thoughts and ask a question to not only myself, but to God. God, what can I learn from this? And God, what miracle can you do through this process? In telling some of the miracles that God did for us, I will need to be painfully transparent. But this is in no way trying to have a sob story for anyone to feel sorry for us. These are testimonies of what God gave us. And if we had not had those tough times, we could not have seen the power of God. And you made reference to it. A lot of times people see things by what we post and they think, oh, this is how it's always been. This is how, you know, you don't know what I'm going through. But they don't know that our first winter in Harrison, all I had was a pair of flip flops. (laughs) And We were trying to get money to get a pair of boots, you know, to go through the winter because, you know, it doesn't seem like it's that much. But there's a vast difference in the weather from Mississippi to Arkansas and when you're used to mild winters and things. But there was one day just out of the blue, a friend of mine, I had kind of laughingly told her the story, you know, just kind of making light of the situation of, yeah, it's getting colder and, you know. I really need some shoes besides sandals or whatever. And just a few days later, there was a check that came in the mail. And she said, please go buy you a pair of boots. People don't see a lot of that. They don't see that when we lived in the upstairs of the church, that we didn't have a stove. We had a little eye to cook on. And again, I'm not telling these stories. For anyone to feel sorry for us. It's a story of there's going to be tough times. But God sees you through every bit of it. If you can look at these tough times as an opportunity for God to perform a miracle. And to one day use as a testimony to touch somebody else. The tough times don't always last. My husband was downstairs at the church and he called me to come downstairs And I walked downstairs and someone had bought us a stove and had pushed it in to the bottom. And I just, I started crying because it was just the generosity of so many people that helped us to get to where we are today. Again, like we involved our kids and our needs. 
it was a pretty tough year. Our church had actually kind of grown. We was kind of starting to get faithful people, seeing people receive the Holy Ghost and was becoming established. We was about two and a half years in, but money was still tight. We were still doing strawberries, but we were doing strawberries, trying to keep the church functioning to help provide for our family and all these things. And there wasn't a lot of money for extras. So we had already told the kids, we were like, hey guys, because it was nearing Christmas. And we had told the kids, said, hey guys, Christmas is probably going to be pretty slim this year. There may not be a lot, but we're going to make it the best time that we can have. Our kids was okay with it. Not one time did I hear my kids say, but mom, why is God doing this to us? Because I put something in them early on that it was an opportunity to be a testimony and a miracle from God. So we had kind of already explained to our children that, you know what? Not real sure Christmas is going to happen this year. You know, we were fully leaning on the <laughs> Christmas is about being with one another, <laughs> you know, and I was Googling like old fashioned Christmas and how to make memories and things like that. And we had, we had an unusual amount of snow that year and we had to cancel church because the snow was crazy ridiculous. And while we were sitting there at the house, we received a phone call. And it was a brother that goes to our church and he mentioned a man's name. He said, he came to the church today and there was no church. And he said, but he wants to see you. And he said, can he come to your house? And my husband said, yeah, you know, send him over, you know, give him my address. And so this man we didn't even really know came to our house and he knocked on our door and he asked my husband, can I see you outside on the porch for a minute? So we're not sure what to expect because we're like, okay, is he mad because he just drove all this way to go to church and they're not having church. And so me and the kids are sitting there looking, you know, we're doing everything but putting our ear up against the window, trying to figure out what's going on. My husband come back in, in the front door, and he was crying. And he had an envelope in his hand. And he told us, he said, I provided. And in that envelope, that man had given us enough money to take care of that entire month's bills for the church our family, and there was enough left over to be able to do Christmas. And I'll never forget Kay looking at me, and he's like, Mom, did you see how fast God moved? And I did. <laughs> you know, that's amazing. And so it gave my children an opportunity to see what God had done for that. In the process of selling strawberries, I told my kids, I said, don't you ever forget. I said, God sees every strawberry that you sold to make sure that his church can sustain itself. And so there was an opportunity that came up. I want to give these testimonies on, on my kids' behalf because they were both like, Mom, you've got to share this testimony. But we had not been able to have a family vacation in years. 
And it was when there was, I think it was the first or second year that the Apostolics at Sea was doing their cruise. And so we were thinking, oh, there's enough time that we maybe we could save up enough money and we could do this. We can make this as a family vacation. So we did. We were able to pay the deposit down and reserve our spot. But the closer it came time for the full amount to come in, we began to realize that the money just wasn't going to be there. And so we sat the kids down and we talked to the kids and we told the kids that, hey, guys, I don't think it's going to happen. I just don't know. But we'll do something fun. If we don't get to go on it, we're going to do something. We're going to have fun. And we had actually already contacted the cruise line and we were able to get our deposit back and everything. So it went on. And Kate told me, he's like, no, mom. He said, I'm praying that God will make a way that we can go on that cruise and that we can go. He said, mom, we need a vacation. <laughs> and so I said, okay, baby, you keep praying. But to be honest, my faith was not very high, but his faith was high. So the cruise left on Monday, on the Thursday before the ship was to leave, we received a phone call from a pastor's wife in Mississippi. And she said, hey, Sister Morrison, she said, I have a question to ask of you. She said, we had a family of four that booked the Apostolics at Sea vacation, and they had something come up, and they were not able to go on it. And they asked us to find a home missionary family to give this vacation to said, would y'all like this? And I just started crying because I thought, uh, you heard that little 12-year-old boy's prayer. And I told her, I said, yes, let me talk to my husband. But yes, <laughs> we want this, you know. And so we pulled the kids in and we told them. And Kate started crying. He said, Mama, I knew God wasn't going to let us down. I knew God wasn't going to let us down. So it sent us in a mad scramble. We were in the middle of winter in Harrison with no vacation plans. <laughs> and so it sent us in a mad scramble of how we were going to get from Harrison, Arkansas to Miami, Florida <laughs> and still be able to have church. And not only did God provide a way for us to go on a cruise, but we had someone after they heard that, they contacted us and said, hey, don't you worry about driving. We're going to fly your family to Miami. So we had that entire vacation planned for us. And while on that cruise, God just didn't give us just a little bit. He showed my kids the true meaning of handfuls on purpose. Because while on that cruise, we had someone else approach us. And they said, hey, when you get off this cruise ship, I want you to take a few days and Brooklyn, she had loved dolphins at that age. And they said, I want you to take your kids to SeaWorld. And they bought our family tickets to SeaWorld. And I guess in saying this, to not only talk about the power of God, but also the power of being sensitive. Because you don't know if God's dealing with you about something, if you could somehow be an answer to a 12-year-old boy's prayers that's praying something. So always be sensitive to those nudges from God. And then fast forward a few years, Brooklyn, for her birthday, 
we'd always tried to do just something special with our family. And I was asking her, well, Brooklyn, what would you like to do? Her birthday was 12 years old. I, I was like, what would you like to do for your birthday? And she's like, mom, I want to spend my birthday in Florida. And I said, baby, that's not a day strip from here. <laughs> I don't know that that's going to happen. And she's like, no, mama, I really want to spend my birthday in Florida. And I said, okay. So her birthday was on Thursday, that Sunday before that Thursday of her birthday. We had had church. We had went home, then put the kids to bed. And I was just drifting off to sleep and my phone rang and my husband was still at the church tidying up some things after our Sunday night service. And when I answered the phone, he was somewhere in between crying and laughing. And he said, do you have your bags packed? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, uh, I just got a phone call. And he said, this individual had told us, hey, if you can get to Florida, you've got a whole week's vacation paid for. So I had to jump up out of bed, start doing laundry. And I had to go wake Brooklyn up. And I was like, Brooklyn, get up because God just answered your prayer. And so she was able to spend her 12th birthday in Florida. And none of these people knew what my children were praying for. But God did and he heard and he put that nudge on those individuals to be sensitive. And so they weren't answered to a kid's prayer. And I told my kids, I said, don't you ever forget. I said, every strawberry you sold, God's sending it back to you. And so it's been a journey for, for all of us. Hearing these stories reminds me of sister Alice. And I can just hear her saying like, God, you care. You really care. And she always will pray and she'll walk around and say, you know, you care, you really care. And she would tell us as kids growing up and being the principal, she would say, it doesn't matter what you're praying. God hears and he cares. He really cares. And these stories just remind me that God, he cares. He really cares. (laughs) He does. I'm trying to be conscious of time, but there's so much that God has done that I stand in awe of, of how we stood in front of the impossible and God showed he's just like that. He he really does. He, he cares about the little things. So we were on Adam street in Harrison for about a year and a half. And our landlord there kind of started giving us a hard time She was wanting to go up on our rent, and we really didn't have the funds to really go up on rent. And so we just started praying that God would open a door for us to be able to get our own building, which was really kind of asking the impossible because we're thinking, okay, if we don't have the money to pay the extra rent, she's asking, how in the world are we going to actually buy a building? But we had actually made friends with a realtor in town. And he called us one day. We'd been praying, God, you've you've got the next step. You know what the next step is. We just need you to lead us to where you want us to go. So our realtor gave us a call one day and he's like, hey, David, he said, I just had an idea. He said, I don't know if it's anything that you would be interested in. He said, but 
I just came in contact with a foreclosed building out on the north side of town. He said the bank is desperate to move it because it doesn't have a lot of possibilities. He said, but I know that you have a church. You're wanting to grow your church. He said, you know, he said, would you be interested in looking at it? So absolutely, you know, we went. And so we met him at the building on Center Loop and we pulled up to this building and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. It was a metal building and it had a eight foot chain link fence around the whole length of the property with barbed wire across the top of it. And I told him, I was like, we can't get this. People will think we have a compound. This is not going to work. He's like, Cindy, we can take the fence down. (laughs) He had so much more vision than I had at that time because all I could think was, oh, this looks like a compound. People are going to think we're crazy. But we walked in and it was completely an open floor plan. There was a couple of rooms that had been set aside for offices. So we talked to our real estate agent and we asked him what uh, we're asking. He said, they're asking $76,000. He said it's for a 2,500 square foot building and four acres of land. And so my husband, he said, I'm definitely interested in it. But, you know, he said, I need to talk to my bishop, Bishop Holmes, and to get his feel of it. Because up until this, every move that we made, we wanted to stay under that umbrella of our bishop, our pastor, that making sure that we were not stepping out, doing anything that he did not feel comfortable with us doing. So we contacted Bishop Holmes and we told him about it. And he said, well, let's just start praying. So we started praying and my husband told the real estate, he said, I want to make an offer on it. He said, but I have a contingency. He said, I want the church to stay in its own name. He said, I don't want the church to be in my name. He said, I want the church to be in its name. We had some very specific things that we were asking God for. And Nathan, who was our real estate agent, he he kind of started laughing. He said, he said, man, he said, David, you're asking for pretty hard things. He said, I don't know if that's possible. And so we we said, well, you know what? If God's in it, he'll do it. So me and my husband and the kids, we started praying and we started walking. We went every day. And we walked around that chain link fence and just praying and believing God and asking God to give us that property if it be his will. And so a short time later, the real estate agent called and he's like, you're not going to believe this. He said, but they did it. And then the banker called us and he said, it's yours. So we were able to close on that property with everything that we asked God for. And so now we went from renting a building in town to owning our own property right on Highway 65, one of the busiest areas for $72,000. We had a 2,500 square foot building and four acres of land. So we stayed in that building and that's when we really started experiencing our growth. We were back at the problem of here we have a building that it needs a lot of work to turn into a church. And we did not know 
how in the world we were going to do it. But some of the men from FPC were forever indebted in it. If I started calling names, I would get in trouble because I would leave someone out. And that's never my intention to ever make it feel like I don't appreciate anything. But we had our FPC church family came up. They worked. They would show up on Fridays and they would work all the way to Saturday in that building, helping us to get it ready to have church in. They would leave 12 o'clock on Friday. Saturday night, heading back to North Little Rock to have church, and we'd get in there and start cleaning it up, not only just from LPC, but other churches that came in, donated their time, donated their labor, donated supplies, everything that we needed, God supplied it, and we're forever grateful for the people that poured into the work in Harrison. So in that building, we experienced growth. And we had the pillars from FPC would come by on their annual trip to Branson. And we would always ask them, hey, will y'all come by and pray with us? And they would come and they would pray. We were at a time in the church growth that we had gained a little bit, but it was just like we just weren't seeing. And we were just praying, God, could you? Just please send us hungry souls. And so the FPC, the pillars, they come by and they prayed with us in our new building, prayed with us and prayed for us. And Sister Judy Weaver came by and she started praying and she got to praying in the Holy Ghost. And she started praying and she said, God, you send them new faces and you send them new faces in the morning. That next morning on Sunday morning, we were about to start church. And there was a family of four that walked in. And that Sunday, they came to preach the Word of God, came forth. And as a family, and never seen this as a whole, but as a family, they came up to the altar. And they prayed together as a family. And from that moment on, they have become an integral part of our church family. Their kids were the same age as my kids. And they became the friends that my kids had been praying for. And they became almost like second parents (laughs) to my kids. And they're still with us today. And I think oftentimes of just those times that you feel like you're at your wits and God knows exactly who to send and when to send them. And there's so many stories like that, but To me, that was so special because I know where I was at in my mind when Sister Weaver prayed that prayer and what an answer to a prayer that was when they walked through the doors that next morning. We had some old pews in that building that we had to sit on and you would play seesaw on them. You had to kind of see if you were sitting with someone that was around the same weight as you, because if not, you would end up seesawing all throughout church. And we were quickly outgrowing, you know, even the few pews that we had. And you had to be careful that you didn't sit on one that had a crack in it, because if somebody got up on the other end, you might get pinched. (laughs) So it was, it's a lot of great memories, but we started praying that God, we need chairs. We need something that can sustain growth. And we had a, a lady from our community 
that visited our church a couple of times. And we had started praying about the need for chairs, and they were such an expense. And this lady came to us and she said, hey, can I meet with you and Brother Morrison tomorrow? She said, I heard, overheard you talking about the y'all hope to get chairs. And she said, I'd like to give a little bit. She said, I've got a little bit saved up in my piggy bank. She said, and I would like to give y'all some to go toward it. So we're like, absolutely, you know. So we met her the next day. And in our mind, we're thinking, she's got a little bit saved up in her piggy bank, you know, I know what my piggy bank looks like. <laughs> but she came to us and she had an envelope. And she said, I'm not sure how much chairs are. She said, but I hope this will help some on it. And she handed us the envelope. And, you know, we're just going to kind of tuck it away. And I knew it was heavier than what I was expecting. <laughs> but she said, no. She said, will you please count it and see how many chairs will that buy? And when... I opened the envelope up and started counting. It was the exact amount that we needed for a hundred chairs that what we had been asking God for the exact amount to the penny of what we needed. And so I stand in awe of just what God did. So we were in that building on center loop, our first building in center loop for about, uh, I believe it was about four years and we quickly started outgrowing it. And so we started praying, God, what's the next step? What do you need us to do next? And we began to pray, asking Bishop to pray with us. And there was an abandoned church that was started. Our property sits um, on center loop with property that goes all the way to Highway 65. Right next to us, there was a property with a abandoned church that a church had started building in, I believe it was back in 2008, and we were not able to finish it, and it just sat empty for years. It had deteriorated so bad, but it run parallel to our property, and we had always kind of jokingly, like, that would make an awesome church, that would make an, you know, awesome church. But again, it seemed like such a dream, but we would ask different ministers, you know, anytime that you come by, please come by and pray with us, pray for us or whatever. And we had a minister come by and pray for us one day and we were walking in the building and he walked out to the the back window that looked out over to that church. And he turned around and he said, God's going to give y'all that, that property. And my first thought was, oh, Lord, how many strawberries am I going to have to deal for that? <laughs> I had to grab that thought and be like, yes, Lord, I received that word. You know, if that's what you have for us, I received that. I believe it. And then when we got to the point of where we were outgrowing, we realized that we had needed to do something. During the process of that, they put that property up for sale. But it was at such an astronomical price and for such the deterioration that was in the building, it was not worth it at all. But we just started praying. And we had our church binding together and praying with us. And we happened to know what they owed on the property. And we were willing to give them just a little bit above that. And so that's what we're willing to do if you're not willing to do that. And so back and forth, it was a roller coaster. 
but God ended up giving us that property, which was a 15,000 square foot building and six acres of land, which when joined together with our current four properties gives us 10 acres of land on Highway 65. We purchased that building for $132,000. And it was it was just a miracle in itself. And so we began working on that property and working on it. And we worked on it probably for about four years because we did not want to put the church in a financial bind. So we've done a lot of it as we could. And I remember one night, that it just did not seem like we were going to be able to get any further. And I drove over to the property and I sat in my car looking at the building and I was just crying. And I was like, God, are you ever going to let us see this? And I just cried and went to church, I believe it was that same night, went to church and I was praying about that situation and I was like, God, will you please move this mountain that's before us? And it was almost like I could hear Grandma Holmes standing right behind me. And it was like she was laughing. And she said, oh, honey, this is not a mountain, but this is a testimony. And it floored me. And so that night I went over into that building and I took a Sharpie and on every board that I could find, I started writing. This is not a mountain. This is a testimony. And I started walking through that church and thanking God for what I wanted to see. It was a depleted building. It didn't seem like we were at a standstill, but I started walking through what we had blocked off to be our Sunday school rooms. And I said, God, thank you for these beautiful decorated Sunday school rooms. God, thank you for the teachers that are going to one day teach in here. God, thank you for the kids that are going to be in here. And I, I'd walk on the parking lot. God, thank you for the beautiful landscaped parking lot. Thank you for the paved parking lot. And I'd walk in the sanctuary. And I began thanking him for the services that we were going to have in that building. I thanked God for the souls that were going to come in. I thanked God for the hungry, hurting people to send. And I just began to not look at what was in front of me, but what I could see in faith. And we quickly just pouring everything we could into that building. When my husband got up one night when we were in our building and he got up and he made the statement under the anointing of God. He got up and he said, we're moving into that building in November. This was in May. And I was like, oh God, I hope that's you. <laughs> it was crazy. And so we started earnestly praying and seeking God. And God done one miracle right after another and we were able to move into that building in November. We had our first service in November. And to kind of condense everything, we were able to pay our building off just a few months ago. We were able to pay our building completely off debt-free. 
And that was in a matter of 18 months, we're able to pare our building completely off. And in order for us to be able to build a family life center with a school on top of it, we did open up a school last year for the first time. It was something that, to be honest, I never really felt a burden for, but with Bishop's gentle urging, (laughs) telling us, you need a school, you need a school, we stepped out in faith, and we did, and I have quickly found that the very thing that I fought the hardest against ended up being the very thing that I needed the most, because it not only has our kids in our church, but it's helped me grow as not only as a pastor's wife, but also as a Christian. We had some children that came to our school and I was still kind of processing of this is where I'm at. This is what we're doing. And I had some children that came to our school and one morning in prayer, the little boy came up and he wrapped his arms around me. And he said, I love you, Sister Morrison, and thank you for praying for me. And I got up from that prayer meeting a different person because I realized that this was a mission field in itself. These kids, I'm not even sure how to put it into words, but it's been amazing for our church, for our students. Our first year, we had seven children receive the Holy Ghost. I know that this has been so incredible for people to listen to. And so many things that you've said has been such a blessing. But one thing was talking about with your kids and that, you know, it being an honor to serve God. And then now looking into it, you talking about, you know, going into the school and your daughter being able to be a graduate of your school the first year. I just think, you know, in those first stages, whenever they were looking outside, wondering if someone was coming and then now for them to have this building And for her to be able to graduate from your church school, that's probably something that you never thought you would be able to say. Right. I am constantly in awe of what God has done. And just hearing Brooklyn in her graduation speech talking about the very things that I feared the most was going to harm them was the very things that God used to put her to where she is now. I know that this has helped so many people, so many things that you have said, but what is one thing that you may would say to someone that they are in those beginning stages of stepping out by faith? It's something that someone told us very early on is the church will only grow as fast as I'm willing to grow. I have got to be willing to learn from things that God is trying to teach me. My husband and I often say that we didn't build this church, this church built us. I look back now 13 years on the other side of that first service when my husband got up and preached to an unseen crowd, and I see the goodness of God in the faces of the wonderful people He has brought to the Rock Church, and I stand in awe. I feel so undeserving to not only have a small part serving in God's kingdom, but with each of them by our side. Each of them has a beautiful story, and I wish I had the time to tell them all. But I'm fully convinced that God has blessed us with the best of the best. I look back and I'm reminded so often of the promise God gave me when I was seeking reassurance that we were doing the right thing by moving to Harrison. He reminded me of the prayers I prayed as a young girl, asking God to make himself real to me 
and to give me stories to tell. He told me to go, and I'll not only make myself real to you, but also to your children. And I've seen him do that over and over again. And it's my desire to encourage someone by telling them our story and letting them know that God is no respecter of person. And what he's done for one, he will do it for another. There will be tough days, and there will be days that you will ask yourself, is it really worth it? But I want you to know it's so worth it. Pick yourself up, dust the discouragement off, encourage yourself, and start thanking God for that broken keyboard, because one day you'll have a better one. Thank God and let those babies sing as loud as they want to, because one day they will be your worship leaders. Keep telling those babies when they ask you, Mom, Dad, why didn't anyone come to church tonight? You keep telling them that they are on the way. Keep praying, keep doing outreach, and keep opening your doors because one day there's going to be a soul walk in who has never been to church in their life and cannot remember the last time they cried, but they will fall to their knees at the altar with tears flowing freely because they found a haven and a message of hope. They will find God because of your labor of love. It may not be happening now, but it will happen if you continue to allow God to use you, even when you do not see or understand. But in the meantime, do what you can, and God will do what you cannot. I read this verse in Amos many times that said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. Samus 9 and 13. And there will come a day that the reward of your labor will come in so fast that you will stand in awe of God, and you will testify and have your own stories to tell of how God moved for you. When you were saying that earlier, it also reminded me of Numbers 14 and 24. It's Caleb and Joshua, and they're talking about going up and conquering the land, and they were saying that they can go after it. And God spoke and said, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. And sometimes, like you said, we're not doing it for ourselves but we're doing it for our kids, for them to see the blessings, for them to know that God does keep his promises. He does answer prayers and he really does care. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sister Morrison, for being on here today. There is no doubt that if you listen to this, you are crying, you've laughed, you feel refreshed and you have faith that has risen because you could not listen to this without your faith rising. I know that God has even more in store for the church in Harrison and for every single person listening to this today. So thank you so much for being so transparent and sharing your testimonies with us. It has been so encouraging. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode on the Unashamedly You podcast. As always, we ask if this podcast blessed you in any way to go share it on your social media and tag us. Leave us a review on Spotify or Apple and subscribe so that you get the notification every Friday when a new episode releases. Thank you for your constant love and support in this space. Now go be unashamedly you.